Well, hi, good to see you. My name is Dennis. I haven't been in here the last couple weeks. I've been out in the um, little kids and then big kids, primarily observing how their tech works because a lot of times the way tech works on a Sunday morning isn't the way it is when I'm here alone, but also uh, to be able to just get an idea of what's going on in our children's ministries. And I got to tell you, uh, we just have, we have fantastic people leading our kids. It is if your kid isn't heading on into the little kid room or the big kid room on Sunday morning, can I encourage you to get them in there? Not because I don't want to hear your baby crying or, you know, whatever. Not that. But because they're really going to do some great learning and growing and connecting if they're in the room. So I got to see it more than once. I, I really believe for those of you that have littler kids and big kids, the hardest part of Sunday morning is from get up to drop them off at the door, right? I mean, it's like during that time, there is utter spiritual warfare going on. Everything is happening to get that kid from getting on in that room and really learning and growing. And I just, I want to encourage you as a parent who's got, you know, fully grown kids now, 32, 30, 25, on Sunday morning, you have one job. Be the parent, be the parent. On Sunday morning, you get to walk up to that door, and they're crying, and they're screaming, and they're, please don't make me. I don't want to. Just say, go eat your lima beans. It's good for you. That's what parents do, right? We, we help the kid do the thing that they're apprehensive to do. We help them make that move because ultimately what they're going to learn and what they're going to do that day is going to be game-changing for them. It's going to be life-changing for them. And in that moment, I, he was the worst. I'm not kidding. I didn't have to be the one at the door. I was doing this. Kim would be at the door, peeling him off the leg, putting him in the room. You were dropping and, me off with people like the beakers. Of course I would be I, screaming. I, I get that. But nonetheless, you know... You, you got to, in that moment, just say, I know that this is going to be really great for you. And what was amazing, I saw it again and again over the last couple of weeks. About 10 minutes later, the kid's going, Mom, who? They're having a great time. They're fully engaged. So take advantage of that Sunday morning time of learning and growing. You know what I love? They're not just doing moral teaching in there. They're not just doing be kind, be nice. They're learning the Word of God, which of course teaches us to be kind and be nice, but they're learning doctrine. They're learning the Word of God. Get them in there on Sunday mornings. Now speaking of our kids, we got something really fun coming up this weekend, right? Mm -hmm. When? 6.30 on Friday. 6.30 on Friday. We're going to have some time. Our kids are going to present to us the news from Nazareth. They have been working hard all the way back since early fall, memorizing lines. They've been getting music down. Sets have been going in place. We're going to have a great time on Friday night. There are no tickets involved. There is no reserved seating. So if you want to show up Thursday night at about 4.30, feel free. Go ahead and camp out because there are going to be a lot of people here coming to watch these kids uh, really deliver a fantastic message. Yeah, it's, it's going to be incredible. And this time of year is the time for invitations. They're not always the best received uh, at any point of the year, but th this time of year is the easiest to make them because we have things going on that you can easily invite and say, hey, let's go check out what our, what our kids are doing, no pressure. Um, and I, I want to encourage like our, our kids, our junior hires and our high schoolers, invite your friends, invite your families, get them here on Friday because the, we are told, spread the message of the gospel. And if you show up on Friday, you're going to hear that message. You're going to get that very clearly through a very, very fun and interactive um, message. So, uh, so make that invitation, no matter how 
awkward it might feel, go ahead and do it. Stretch out. Ask a coworker. Ask a neighbor. Ask a family member. And come and check out what we've got. Going you know, on. one we had a few reasons for doing this on Friday night. We've done it on Sunday morning in the past, but one of them is for the sake of that invitation. Because there will be times that people say, "I'd love to come. I have my own church." even though they never go to it. They have their own church. And so it's like, well, yeah, but your church doesn't meet on Friday night. Come on out, enjoy uh, this time together as our kids uh, present this message. So that's Friday. Now I'm going to take you all the way on into January. January 22nd, we're going to be beginning uh, a series uh, of groups together that we're calling Going Deeper. Going Deeper. Some really, really uh, sobering news came right about the same time that our overseers were having a conversation about wouldn't it be great to do something like Rooted again, where everybody's doing the same page, all the groups are studying the same thing. And so we started, we started looking, searching. Speaking of searching, my phone isn't here, huh? Because I needed it. No, 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 no. So anyway, as we're looking at different ideas of what we might be able to do as an all-church experience, a survey came out about what people believe as evangelicals. And their definition of evangelical, you know, it was, I believe the Bible is the authority of my life. I believe Jesus died to pay for the sins of the world. You're awesome. Thank you. It would never, ever, ever be where it's supposed to be, if not for someone else giving it to me. Uh, Things like Jesus was the sacrifice for our sin. I need to tell other people about Jesus. The people who took this survey affirmed those statements, all right? Now, here's what they're saying evangelicals hold true. 32% of evangelicals agree that Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. You getting that? A third of evangelicals believe that Jesus is a great teacher, but they question whether or not he is God. Uh, In classic church history, that would have earned you a spotted a stake with a Bic lighter. It's heresy. It's heresy. It's heresy. 46% agree with this statement. God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Doesn't matter. As long as you're sincere, you're good to go. 56% agree with this. Jesus is the first and greatest created being by God. And another 11% aren't sure. They believe that Jesus was created. How can God have created God? Again, one of those congratulations. You get a spot at a stake in classic church history. Uh, 51% believe that the Holy Spirit is a force but not a person. 54% believe that if you sin a little, you'll still go to heaven. That regardless of Jesus' death, a little sin won't keep you from God. And 80%, it says 80% agree with this. God counts a person as righteous, not because of one's works, but because of their faith in Christ. Or in other words, 20% say it's by something other than the grace of Jesus. The evangelical church has got some problems if that's where our belief set is. And so as we started searching, we came across this, which happens to be by the same people, by the rooted people. Pretty cool. But it's a a series much like last year where you're doing uh, four devotionals a week instead of five, for eight weeks instead of ten, 
but it's diving into basic doctrine, basic beliefs. So what are they, the table of contents? What are the things we're going to be looking at? Yeah, so every week has the basic premise that we, the church, love something. So every week literally says, we love blank. And so our topics for the eight weeks are we love God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, God's Word, God's world, the gospel of God, the people of God, and the mission of God. And it's funny, you know, like even the first one, we love God the Father. I was actually part of a group, not here, somewhere else. I was part of a group within the past year that was debating whether or not we should call God Father anymore. Jesus called him Father, but our wokeness says we shouldn't call him Father. We're, we're throwing away biblical doctrine. We need to return to the truth of the Word of God. And so we're going to be encouraging you to, to jump on that. We're introducing it today. You'll be getting a workbook. You'll be getting in the group. We'll be talking about the topics on Sunday morning and digging in. And the funny part is the digging in really didn't start with this. This has been something God's been kind of doing in me that I didn't even realize. Go back to the summer when we're looking at 2 Timothy and it talks about sound doctrine. We came out of that into the fall, digging into the Bible. What is the Bible? What's the nature of the Word of God? Then we did a, a practical theology of servanthood, understanding what it means to really serve. And now as we go into December, we're going to be in a series we're calling All About Angels, where we're just spending four weeks looking at the nature of angelic beings as I have informal conversations with people, people who believe the Word of God, angels is probably one of the more confusing areas for many, many people. Some of us believe that when we die, we become an angel, that we get wings. Clarence and, and Ghost and other movies have, have just kind of totally messed us up on a theology of angels. So we're going to come back to understand the importance of these beings because they are real. And they play an important role, but some of the things we believe about them aren't exactly sound theology. So we'll be digging into that all of December. With that, it's going to be a good lead-in to this. Yes. And this is actually what we're going to be doing with our high schoolers as well. So last time we did like a student version for high school, and then there was a junior high uh, girls separate study. We, the overseers have thoroughly gone through all this, and it is, it's a little heady. Uh, yeah. So you you know, it's, it's not exactly, if a sixth grader picked this up and tried to do it on their own, it'd be really, really hard. Not saying that there aren't sixth graders that can't, but we will be doing it with their high school. So the reason I bring that up today is to already set you up as parents and as aunts, uncles, grandmas, grandpas, whoever, uh, do this with them. Go ahead and, and work through the workbook, whether you're, you know, you're not going to be in the same journey group. You, I'm sorry, you're not in high school, you can't come to revive. But um, I think that this is going to lead to some really cool conversations that you'll be able to find your, you know, the questions that your kids have about the Bible or their faith um, may, uh, may spark some really interesting conversations in your home or in your, in your family circle. So uh, be looking forward to that. Toward the end of December, we have this crazy little thing called Christmas. It falls on a Sunday this year. So here's what we've decided. We're going to hold a service at 11 o'clock on Saturday and 11 o'clock on Sunday, and you get to choose which one you're coming to. All right, it'll be the same service offered both days, 11 o'clock on Saturday, 11 o'clock on Sunday. We recognize for some of you your, Sunday, your, your Christmas morning gift openers, so we want to make sure we give you the time to get that in. Or your heathens and you open them on Christmas Eve. Which is the family he came from, but anyway. I um, still fight against that, whatever. It'll never change. <laughs> it will never, ever change. I'll tell you the backstory later. But anyway, um, Saturday, Sunday, 11 o'clock. So come to one of those two services. And, and the irony, the beauty we realized is if you take the 11 on Saturday and the 11 on Sunday, it adds up to 22, 2022, it must be of God. All right, so anyway, 
Here we go. Finally, we appreciate all the ways in which you continue to support what's going on around here. We recognize that, you know, inflation's doing a number on everybody. It was funny. They've been talking about how much Thanksgiving dinner rose in price. I still saw that turkey for 99 cents, the butterball 99 cents, and the Jenny O was 59 cents a pound. So those were in good range. But then I went to buy butter and I thought I'd have to sell a child. I mean, <laughs> butter, cream, all eggs. the things that go into eggs, all the things that go into making that meal magic were up. So we're grateful that you continue to support in the ways you do, and you can do that online by text. There's the box at the door as you're walking out, as well as through the mail. Any of those ways, we appreciate your continuing generosity. We don't give out like line items of every single thing that's purchased with all that money, because that would be a mess, and looking at the receipts that... The students buy would sometimes be cause for concern. Uh, you might not send your kids on that Wednesday or that Sunday if you see that we're buying dehydrated tarantulas, for example. Um, but I, I do want to point out, like, as the as the student pastor who leads both high school and junior high, I'm incredibly thankful. And I know um, that our our teams who lead big kids and little kids are as well, because the the flexibility we're able to have in creating not just fun, not just doing things that are uh, engaging, but the things that we're able to do at a curriculum level or um, you know, taking trips or supporting, supporting kids in camps or anything through the budget is totally thanks to you. So we don't do it often enough. Coming out of Thanksgiving, I, I just want to express my sincere gratitude for, uh, on behalf of Revive and Refuge and the, the rest of our, our children's and student teams because literally, I mean, we, we could not do 90% of the things that we do without having, having that budget that, that you help us to so, thank Thanks. So this is the first Sunday of Advent. Advent is those four Sundays that lead up to Christmas, and they're, and they're to build in us a sense of anticipation. It's a unique and beautiful Advent for me, for my family. It reminds me of the Advent that we shared in 1989 when we were waiting for him. He was due on December 12th, and we were waiting in anticipation that waiting for a child. You know, this year we're waiting for, for baby E. We don't know boy or girl, but baby E is on the way. And, and I didn't really allow myself to do it until the shower. But then the baby shower hit, and I started imagining what it's going to be like to hold a seven-pound human again and to look at those little toes and to hear the crying and say, here, take it. I, you know, <laughs> all, all that goes into that, that sense of anticipation. Anticipation is there. And whether it's the waiting for a child or waiting for the opening of a gift, that's what Advent's supposed to do. It's supposed to build anticipation in us. So I hope that you'll use this season uniquely in a heightened way to build the anticipation. There's so many devotional programs out there. You can get on YouVersion. There are all kinds of YouVersion uh, Advent devotionals. Dwell. We use Dwell around here. Love Dwell. It's an audible scripture listening. By the way, if you go to Get Dwell, because I talk about it all the time, you don't have to pay for it. Go to our website. There's a code for you to be able to get it for free. And they have a booklet that goes along with their devotional. I love, too, that they've actually got it built in so that as you're listening, you can be reading as you listen. So we thought this morning to kick things off, we'd, we'd go ahead and, and do the first of the, of the Dwell Advent devotionals. And I, I love in the introduction, they said this, we are near to the places we, we are near to the places and people we love. We're near to the places and people we love. And then it goes on a little further to say, Advent is the glorious celebration of God's nearness to those he loves. 
God is near to you. God loves you. He loves being in this place, in every place, with you. So as Advent goes on, be drawn into that nearness. This year, there's an emphasis on light when you look at some of the scriptures. So this one's literally called Walk in the Light. Walk in the Light. Here we encounter a common biblical exhortation found throughout the pages of scripture. These words have immediate traction and relevance in our culture. Walk in the light and avoid darkness. Seems simple enough, right? And yet the challenge before us is seemingly elusive in the nature of light, how often it dances in the shadows and evades our sight. We know we are meant to walk in the light, yet our hearts and minds struggle to discern the true light that gives light to all. In fact, our world is awash with beliefs and values that claim to be light, yet in reality lead us in the way of darkness and decay. Simply put, the human heart longs for the way of light, yet requires divine illumination to know the way it must go. We long for God, to know him and to be known by him. Yet sin has distorted our desires and twisted our understanding of the straight and narrow. Therefore, before we set out on a journey, we must be sure that it is, in fact, the light of God toward which we move. For this reason, Isaiah invites the house of Jacob to walk in the light of the Lord in Isaiah 2.5. Our eyes must be trained to see the light of God as the one true source of life, the way from which we must never depart. And in the goodness and mercy of God, and the season of Advent reminds us, the light of the Lord is not an abstract belief or set of philosophical positions, but the presence of a person, Jesus Christ, God with us. In his embodied and incarnate self, he is the light of God, or as he says, the way, the truth, and the life. Now in the devotionals, they offer a weekly prayer that you can pray, and then there's a closing reflective practice. And I'd love for you to read that reflective practice for us. Are there ways in which you have abstracted truth or separated the light of the Lord from the presence and person of Jesus Christ? I suspect you may need to read that again. Are there ways in which you have abstracted truth or separated the light of the Lord from the presence and person of Jesus Christ. So what I love about the reflective practice is it's not God so loved the world that he gave his only blank, what answer did you get? That's a tough question. That is a probing question that you can gnaw on all day long. The ways in which we want to hold on to truths and not necessarily embrace the truth who is Jesus. A lot of people live here in their, in their walk with God. They live in their head. They live in their understandings, and they're not taking it to that deeper personal relationship with Jesus. The two are not disconnected. The two are not disconnected. So I'd encourage you, whether it's the, the dwell uh, Advent practice or, or something else out there, take advantage of these weeks in order to really grow that in you. Father God, I'm grateful I'm grateful that you bring us to the season of Advent, that you give us moments of anticipation like longing for the birth of a grandchild or a child, 
like longing for the opening of a gift, like waiting for a job, all these things that are in our waitings in life, and they remind us that we're to have that same kind of anticipation when it comes to our life in Jesus. Thank you for the advent of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, uh, we're going to take an approach that we have a couple of times this year. We're going to spend some time uh, praying together. And in recent days, I, I got to admit to you, I've had, some, I've had some real personal conviction about prayer. Had two, two events happened recently that just kind of raised my intensity in prayer again. One was a visit from some friends just a couple weeks ago. They're people that we, that we knew in St. Louis 30 years ago. They were brand new baby Christians. And through the years, they've really done tremendous growth. Uh, our friend Tina went through breast cancer this past year. And, and it was a hard journey for her. And, you know, she and Paul were talking. They said, you know, every time we met with a doctor, every time we met with any sort of a medical professional, we asked them, would you mind if we prayed together? I, I got to admit, I don't think that would have been my inclination. And it just, it was sobering to me that they believed so intensely that God was there and a part of that. Then it was not too long ago that uh, I was with Shelly at, at a concert. And uh, for whatever you believe of the theology of the night, here's what, here's what I saw in that night. There were people who really believed there's a God in heaven who answers prayer, who answers impossible prayers. You know, and, and I got to admit to you, when it, when it comes to the condition of our world right now, the word hope is not high on my list. I don't have a lot of hope. And yet, you know, Pink Candle, we're supposed to be the people of hope. Not hope that it'll all get better, but hope that we have a God who can do anything. Anything He chooses. Do we believe that? And so we press into prayer together this morning. We're going to walk through a guided time of prayer because I think that for a lot of us, we talk prayer but we don't do prayer. We pray as the accident's about to happen. God help me! <laughs> you know, but, but to be in a, a daily rhythm of prayer is probably not where a lot of us are. So I want to walk through some practices that I think will help you in your daily rhythm, but then we also have this time together as a body that we're praying. So as I do, I just want to ask a question to start. What image comes to your mind when you think about prayer and praying? What's the picture that comes to your mind? What, what, what do you got? I've got a couple. Um, I'm actually going to add one from first service. Okay. The first thing is when I, when I think of an image, um, you have a prayer kneeler mm -hmm. that you've had for all of my life. Yeah. It's, it's moved from your office at the old building to various rooms throughout the house. It's always facing a window, kind of that, just that spot where you know you can look out and, and see and hear from God. Uh, the second image is... <laughs> Again, a, a kind of weirdly personal one, but uh, you had a t-shirt. I don't know who gave it to you. I don't know when, but you wore it a lot. Um, <laughs> it had jeans, a picture of just somebody wearing jeans, and the knees are worn out, completely torn through. And it was prior, not, prior to it being stylish. It was not in vogue. <laughs> yeah, definitely not cool. Yeah. Um, but it's, it just said, pray hard on, yeah. the, on the shirt. Just pray yeah. hard with these, with these knees. So like those two images kind of viscerally... Uh, pop up in my mind. But another one that I didn't mention in first uh, is, is the, the times that we've spent as leadership teams with both junior high and high school, often at Green Lake, 
um, spending time just in extended periods of prayer. And the thing that is funny for me, when I think about those, there have been some really powerful, meaning, deep, tear-filled prayers, uh, but then there have also been the funny ones. Mm-hmm. And watching, like, for me, knowing how our kids grow in prayer, um, I'm going to call one out just because she's here. It was amazing. Watching how Vivian went from one night praying uh, or ending a prayer by saying, all right, good night, <laughs> <laughs> to being, to being a, and not that that wasn't a thoughtful prayer, but like yeah. watching, watching a student like Viv or Mikel or Vincent or whoever um, go through a, a period of growth of prayer, that's, those are images that just are imprinted on my mind forever. So I don't know what image comes to your mind. Maybe it's folded hands, the, the classic praying hands. Perhaps it's just a, an image of somebody kneeling in a church. It looks a little bit like Arrow from Mission. It's kind of funny. But anyway, someone kneeling. Maybe it's some piece of classic art. I don't know how many of you had this in your family dining room or was in a family's dining room growing up. Perhaps it's a, a religious uh, artifact, something that you hold on to when you pray, or, or like Brian mentioned, a, a bench where you kneel. There's something that comes to your mind, some, some image that evokes prayer. Then there, I think there are other images too that I wouldn't call them images as much as concepts. There's some concepts that come to our minds. Like if someone says something about prayer, your first thought is, yeah, I ought to, I should, I don't do enough. I wish I did more. Or if all else fails, you're kind of a last resort prayer. I've tried everything else. Okay, might as well try praying. Uh, perhaps you see it as something for super spiritual people. You've known some super spiritual people in your life, and you don't put yourself in that category. You're like, yeah, that's, that's for someone other than me. Or maybe the opposite. You see it, you associate it with people who are weak, with people who are desperate. Maybe if you were really, really gut honest, you'd just say, why bother praying at all? It doesn't seem to make any difference. I feel like I'm just talking to the wind. Why? Why pray? Or it's too hard. You're in good company, by the way. Here Jesus is in the garden with his disciples. He's going to die. And Jesus comes back and taps them on the shoulder and says, you're sleeping, really? You couldn't keep watch with me for one hour? It's never been an easy thing to pray. It's not easy. I like the image of a walk. Not just because I like walking while I pray, but because I think it really is a beautiful picture of my relationship with God. That through the years I've been walking with Him, and and the walk has morphed and changed and developed along the way. It's not the same as it was years ago. It's not the same as it was weeks ago. It's always changing as the scenery of that walk changes. So this morning we're going to walk together in prayer. We have some music playing in the background lightly, and we're going to just spend some time focusing together on God. You can keep your eyes open. You can close them if you want. Do whatever you need to in order to enter into that closeness with God. So anytime I'm about to pray, I think it's really important to become aware of the presence of God. That you're not just quoting a list into the sky You're talking to a person, a real person, a person who wants to have a relationship with you. And so to to stop and be quiet long enough to become aware of the presence of God. 
For a lot of us, when we pray, we pray words like, God be with us, God be with my children, God be with this or that. He always is. We're the ones that aren't with it. We're the ones that aren't with him. So so to be quiet long enough to be aware, God is here. Emmanuel, God is with us. I consistently open my time of prayer with this verse from Exodus chapter 3. Go ahead and read that, Brian. Then Moses said, I must turn aside and look at this great sight and see why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he had turned to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. At some point it struck me about that verse that the bush is burning and he's walking by it. And it is only when he turned aside to see the great sight that God called to him out of the bush. I don't know. If Moses had kept walking, I don't know that God would have gone, Hey, Mo, come back! It was when he turned aside. Praying is a turning aside to see. Praying is a moment to stop and say, God, you are here. I desire to be present with you. I know you're present with me. I desire to be present with you. I am aware of your presence. I think a great psalm that gets us to that place is Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I am seeking you. My soul is thirsting for you. My flesh longing for you. In a land parched, weary, and waterless. I long to gaze on you in the sanctuary and to see your power and glory. Your love is better than life itself. My lips will recite your praise. All my life I will bless you. In your name, I will lift up my hand. You don't have to recreate those words. You can literally pray them right to God. I earnestly seek you, God. I'm here right now earnestly seeking you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a land that is parched, weary, and waterless. You know what hunger feels like. God wants us to have that hunger for him. You know what anticipation feels like. God wants us to have that anticipation for him. I long to be with you today, God. I know you're with me. I long to be with you. I'm becoming aware of your presence. You might use a verse like this one from Psalm 5. Listen to my voice in the morning, Lord. Each morning I bring my requests to you and and wait expectantly. Again, you can literally pray the words of David. Listen to my voice. Hear my requests. I wait expectantly. And it doesn't say I wait expectantly for an answer. I wait expectantly for you. Just waiting for you, God. You might open with the words of Samuel. Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. He keeps hearing the voice, Samuel, Samuel. And only after a few times does Eli, the priest, the guy who's supposed to know these things, realize God is talking to this little boy. Have you ever stopped and just said, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. I love that quote. It's not from the Bible. Let us be silent that we might hear the whisper of God. We need to be quiet long enough to hear him 
to know he's present. I ask you this question, what is your practice of becoming aware of the presence of God? Do you have a practice of becoming aware of the presence of God? Maybe it's just kneeling. There are very few contexts in life that we kneel. Kneeling in prayer is a way of being aware. I'm in the presence of God. Maybe it's an object holding a palm cross. Maybe it's like this, just a series of verses that you recite as you begin to become aware of the presence of God. Maybe it's a particular place you go. What do you do on a daily basis to say, you are here, God. You are here and I am here with you. That awareness of the presence of God leads us to a place of of giving thanks and expressing gratitude. I think it's always great to go from, I am aware of you, to thank you, to thank you. I think it's really sad when you look at the public figures in our life these days, whether it's television, you name it, wherever they are, we have a lot of grumpy people, and they're grumpy because they're not grateful. We have an absence of gratitude, an absence of gratitude for all the good things God has given us, done for us as a nation. Gratitude relieves the grumpy. It brings us to the right place. Samuel is giving his final speech to the people of God, and he says these words. Now stand here quietly before the Lord, as I remind you of all the great things the Lord has done for you and your ancestors. And he goes on to just recite all these things. Remember the plagues? God did that. Remember that, that, that sea? God did that. Do you remember that bread from the sky? God did that. Do you remember the enemies that were slain? God did that. Can you start to recite the things from your past that seemed impossible? I got to tell you, God, there was a time that I stood on this very piece of dirt and said, there will never be a church here. It'll never happen. Let's just sell. Let's just give up. And here we sit, eight years in, in a place that we get to come worship you and be with each other and have a, a, a presence in a community. And you did that. And if you did that before, you can do it again. I'm grateful for what you've done for your church in this place. I'm grateful for all the things that I look at and think, that was impossible. And you did it. Like bread from heaven And the cool part is we know the source of the bread. It wasn't just a mystery. We know the source. All these good things came from you. Isolate in your mind right now something that in the past seemed impossible. And it happened. God did it. Give him thanks. Let your heart pour forth gratitude. Can I ask you, what is your practice for expressing prayerful gratitude to God? If you don't have a practice of gratitude, you won't do gratitude. We are by nature grumpy. Just look at Twitter. We are by nature crabs. 
we need to be drawn into saying thank you. I, I'm in the intentional practice every day of writing down three things I'm thankful for from the previous day. It's not always easy. Sometimes it's not easy because I'm like, I got one, I'm not sure I got two more. Sometimes it's because I've got 30 and I limit myself to three. Write them down. Thank God. Have a practice of expressing gratitude to God. Well, if we're going to pray, we have to move to a time of confession of our sins. For confession, again, I love to go straight to Scripture. As I go to Scripture, there are four passages I like to read through. Actually, I don't have to read them anymore. I quote them, but anyway. The first one reminds me of the nature of God. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. I need that reminder, God. I need the reminder that you actually want to forgive me, that no matter how heinous my action, no matter how horrible my attitude, no matter how wicked my motive, you want to forgive me. You're gracious and compassionate. You're slow to anger. You're rich in love. You know I'm only made of dust. You know my, my ugly nature. And you are ready again and again and again to forgive. And I need to hear that. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Only you can forgive. Only the blood of Jesus can wash away my sin. Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. God, I need that recognition often that it's not just that I offended someone else, did something bad to someone else. This hurt your heart. It hurt your heart. I confess my sins to you. I'm deeply sorry for all that I've done. And then just being quiet and not long enough to let the Spirit to bring to your mind the things that require forgiveness. You need to be quiet long enough. Where was my action wrong? Where was my motive wrong? Where was my attitude wrong? In what ways have I offended you, holy and righteous God? Another interesting confession question is this one. What's the truest thing you can say to God right now? Your truest thing may be the thing I've done is so bad I could never be forgiven. That's not true, but it's what you believe to be true. Maybe the truest thing you believe is, God, I'm all right. I haven't sinned for four weeks. Oh, the truest thing is pride. What's the truest thing I can say to God right now? After a time of bringing those sins before God, we confess our sins and the Bible tells us that God is then faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess. And then some beautiful things happen in the relationship. Look at Revelation 3.20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in 
We'll share a meal together as friends. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The broken fellowship is restored. I'm back. I'm back. God is present, but now I'm present with God. And I go on with this commitment now throughout the day. Lord, from here forward, may the words in my mouth and the meditation of my heart, not just the things I say, not just the things I do, but the motivation behind it, let it be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock, my strength, my redeemer. Can I ask you, what's your practice for confessing your sins to God? A once a month confession ain't going to get it done. Imagine if you saved up with your spouse once a month. Here are all the things I've done wrong. We need immediate, I'm sorry. We need immediate confession. What's your practice of confession? Let me offer you one that might help. To just use your body. You take your body everywhere. It's kind of amazing. I can never lose my body. So I start up here with my hair. The Bible tells me that God knows the number of hairs on my head fully aware of everyone. If I started to count right now, I'd get the number wrong because the number would be different by the time I'm done. God knows every time one falls out. You know what's amazing? Somehow there are times in my life that I elevate myself to the position of God that I think I know. I know. I'm in control. I can handle this. And my hair reminds me that I can't even know how many hairs are on my head nor can I grow one if I try. God can. I can't. Move to my mind. You see, I can look pretty good on the outside, but if only you knew what I think. Forgive me, God, for the things I think. I move to my eyes and the things my eyes see. I don't have a choice sometimes. If I watch TV, commercials come up, nasty things come up on commercials. I can't help looking once, but the second look, that's on me. Forgive me for the second look, God. Come over to my ears. What do I choose to put into my ears that seeps down into my soul? What are the things that nourish my soul, that bring life? And what are the things that are destructive? What am I listening to? What are the conversations I'm taking in that I should walk away from? What am I taking in? I go to my lips. Oh my goodness, I could spend all day on my mouth. All day on the things that come out of my mouth. With my mouth comes blessing and cursing. The truth comes out of my mouth far too often. God, forgive me for the things that come from my mouth. I go to my my neck and my spine and I realize that when they're functioning well, they support me. They hold me up. But there are times in my life that I don't stand strong. There are times that I should have courage and I'm weak and I walk away. Forgive me for the times that I do not stand tall. Forgive me for the times that I don't stand with courage. We could talk about the stomach, but I'll leave that alone. Let's go down to the feet, places it takes me. Am I going where you want, God? Am I doing all of your holy will? Am I just doing what I desire? Are my feet working hard? Are my hands working hard? Or am I lazy? You can literally go through the entirety of your body in an act of confession. Bringing yourself before the Lord is a living sacrifice. Forgive me, Father, I have sinned. Forgive me. Oh, God, 
Our sins are great and many. They're offensive to you. And we ask your forgiveness. We owe you such a debt that we could never repay. Why do you love us so much? Why do you love me so much? I just don't get it. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you for seeing us in our broken state and extending your love. Clean hands and pure heart. That is our desire. In Jesus' name. Let's go to communion. As we go to communion, we'll be listening to a song that's become familiar to a lot of us. It's the song Gratitude. Let your heart well up with gratitude for the things that God's done. Let your heart well up with gratitude for the, for the forgiveness that he's given you. Father God, we are grateful. We receive today the bread and the cup with gratitude, knowing that when we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins, knowing that you are the provider of all good things, we thank you. Move to the tables in the front and the back, gluten-free on the sides of the platform. Let's go to communion.
We are grateful. We're so incredibly grateful. We know us. We know the secret sin that lies inside of us. We know our wrongdoing. And you forgive. We know the times that life felt utterly impossible, hopeless. We felt despair. And then there was manna on the lawn, and, and we looked up and said, you did it again. We're grateful. Father God, let Thanksgiving be something more than a day of the year. Let it be a way of life. Let us recite again and again the good things you've done that we might move us away from a life of grumpiness and toward a spirit of glowing gratitude. Let that be that, that light that other people see and recognize that that good work comes from our Father in heaven, not from us. We didn't muster that up. It's not just part of our personality. We have every reason for gratitude. And we thank you in Jesus' name. I referred to prayer as a walk, and a piece of my walk through the years has been just trying on different methodologies, different styles of prayer. For a long time I did lists, and I said, I'm sick of lists, I'm done with lists. I try all these different things, and not too long ago, it's actually been the last couple of years, I came across a book by a guy named Paul Miller. And I've worked my ways through it. And he's got, I love his approach. He says, you need to put the word to work. You don't have to invent your own prayers. Put the word to work. Pray the word of God. The word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Pray the word of God. And so now my lists aren't lists of requests, they're lists of verses. I have verses for Kim, verses for Brian and Riley, Shelly, Nate, E. Lists for Southfield of verses that I bring to God and pray the verses to God. One of the things I pray for is a tough thing to pray for, and I want you to pray for it today as well. I pray for my enemies. Now, some of you are immediately like, you're so good nature, like I have no enemies. Let me define an enemy. People who wish us harm or people for whom we do not hope the best. I'm at a point with some people that I'm probably at least finally neutral. I don't wish for lightning to hit their car. But I'm also not praying, God, I wish they'd have a sunny day. You know a person has moved from enemy to forgiven when you can wish them the best, when you can pray the best for them. Coming off Thanksgiving, that's tough. Because some of us sat at tables with people and we're glad they went home. And there's some people we wish would have shown up at the table. And year after year, they're not there. And it hurts. Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, for the people who wish us harm, 
and for the people for whom we do not hope the best, that we might come to a place of full forgiveness. Hey, I don't say this lightly. I know for some of you, you deal with former spouses, you deal with wicked bosses, you deal with people that you say, if you knew what I dealt with, you wouldn't even be talking about this. Jesus forgave people that whipped him, spat on him, and nailed him to a cross. Tough to get worse than that. Praying the word, we pray the words of David, even my best friend, the one I trusted completely, the one who shared my food has turned against me. He's honest. He says, I have people in my life that hate me. And that's hard. It's hard to live there. Pray the words of Jesus, right? What they're doing. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. The fact that you could pray that, Jesus, in the moment of your greatest grief, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Move us toward the Spirit of Jesus that we can offer that prayer and mean it. That we can have that kind of mercy and that kind of grace and that kind of compassion. As a group of overseers, we've been reading a chapter of 1 Corinthians each time we get together and we read it and then talk about it. And these verses came up recently from 1 Corinthians 4. For the present hour we hunger and thirst. We're poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We've become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I'd have to admit, God, these words are so opposite of the spirit of our age. The spirit of our age says when when reviled, revile back, fight back. When slandered, correct the situation. Get out in front of it. Fix it. We live in an era that teaches a spirit of revenge, a spirit of evening the score, a spirit of making it right by force. And here Paul is saying, no. When I'm reviled, I bless the person. When I'm persecuted, I, I, don't, I don't push the persecution away. I endure the persecution. When I'm slandered, I speak kind words. I'm not there yet, God. Grow me enough to be able to forgive my enemies. Grow me enough that I might not be an enemy to others. Isolate a person in your mind, either who has ill intent against you or someone for whom you do not wish the best yet. Would you pray, Father, grow me to be able to say forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Grow in my heart the ability to say, forgive them. 
They don't know what they're doing. Release me of my bitterness. Grow in me a forgiving spirit. One of the things I try to pray for all the time is not just my enemies, but I like to turn to something really cheerful. And that's praying for the next generation. Praying for the people who will lead and love when, when I'm gone. I pray Second Timothy for them all the time. And... Um, you know, by nature, I'm a pretty repetitive person. I have the same 10 songs on my playlist. I don't need a new movie. I like the five I enjoy. I tend to wear the same things, as some of you observe. And I have a few pictures that go through my mind again and again and again. When I come to this part of praying, it's these same pictures. I happen to own them, but I don't need to even look at them because they come up in my mind. I see the image of all these kids at Green Lake covered in shaving cream. See little Vivian and Vincent at the back door of the Old Bethel Drive Church with Vincent with that look that he still has. You don't know what he's up to, but you know it's probably not good. But you love him. Think of Jared hugging, hugging Adam. Could never lift him and do that now at what, six foot 13? Think of Nate and Elam sitting on the front row of day camp. Elam with that look at the back door of the church and, and Naya wondering what's wrong with her brother. Vincent's blowing hair with the leaf blower. Ryan the senior taking the time to talk to a sixth grader, little Nick, and the gleaming smile on Nick's face. Receiving love from someone and then my mind thinks of Roger holding Janet's hand just steps before he crossed the finish line into heaven. And I pray for these kids because they're, they're way, way back in their race and I pray that they'll be able to get to that finish line and be able to say, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith. Pray Second Timothy for them. I pray that God would fan into flame the gift that He's given them. I pray that they would that they would guard the truth that's been given to them, not fall for the lies of the world. I pray that they'd study hard to understand what the Word of God really has to say. I pray that they'll be able to push aside all the wicked junk of this world. And when they are impure, that they come back home to Jesus. I pray about the wicked times in which they live and recognize that they are living in the end times. And it's going to be a hard time to hold one's head high for Jesus. I pray that they'd continue in the faith that they've given ever since they were back in little kids that they'd trust the Word of God and they'd proclaim the Word of God. And then I go to the end of the book where it says, do your best to come to me soon. 
Pray for the ones that have wandered away from God that need to come back home. God's word is implanted in them. They need to come back home. They need to finally embrace the truth again. And I pray that God will raise up a next generation of people that make sure there's another generation at Southfield. Help this next generation, God. It's an incredibly difficult time to be a human being, let alone a human being who embraces God. Give them the strength of character, the conviction, the courage to do what is right, that, that combination of courage and compassion that is beautifully Jesus. I pray that they would have a heart that wants to see the gospel continue to advance in the world. And God, I think maybe more than anything else, I pray that you would give them hope. Because I got to admit, when I look at our world right now, I don't have a lot of hope. And we're not supposed to have hope in the world, we're supposed to have hope in you. I pray that they would have hope that God can revive this world, that God can bring people safely home to himself, that God can take the most hardened Mm, hateful sinner. A person who has completely abandoned every bit of biblical truth and bring them home just like he did the Apostle Paul. Give them hope. From this place, let a generation advance the cause of Jesus. Here and around the world, we don't want the doors to stay open just so that there can be another, you know, bake sale and whatever. We want the doors to stay open so that Jesus can be known. And so help our kids to know Jesus, we pray. In your name, amen. And so as we leave, I'd love for you to do one thing. This is going to be messy. Whether it's a little kid, a big kid, a refuge kid, a revived kid, a college kid, graduate school, or even young adult. Let's just start saying their names out to God as a prayer. Pray for the next generation. Say their names out to God. Go ahead. Not one at a time, just as a big old mess. He can hear them all. Say the names. Go ahead and say the names to God. God, hear our prayer. And as we walk from this place today, help us to walk away continuing an awareness of your presence. Help us to walk away knowing of your forgiveness and embracing that forgiveness. Help us to walk in a spirit of gratitude, desiring to talk to you as often as we can. All these prayers this morning we lift to you. We love you, and we love being loved by you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll see you next week.